1: Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Good. Now you are ready to enter the warning woods. When I turned 16, I became the target of a rough crowd. There was this guy, Charlie Younger, nicknamed Little by his friends. There was Lou Watanabe, uncreatively dubbed Wannabe, and finally the unelected leader of the group, Orin Green. Orin wasn't assigned a nickname. I don't think anyone had the guts to try one out on him, lest he drop a hammer fist on their crown, he had a tendency to do that, and his victims had a tendency to go to sleep for a little while. Orrin Green may have been one of those fated people who were born into bullyhood. He grew to five foot nine by the time we were all in 7th grade. He could have been a star athlete if he had stopped sabotaging and abusing his teammates. The track coach cut him from the team after one of the shot put kids took a swig from his water bottle and got a mouthful of hot urine. Oren gave himself away by laughing, pointing, and asking how the kid's lemonade tasted before the poor kid even explained why he had upchucked his lunch on the track field. That day marked the end of Oren's short athletic career and freed him up to be a full-time terror. How Oren, Little, and Wannabe started working together is still a mystery to me. I guess some things are just meant to be. Little was about as wide as Oren was tall back then and had a bit of a sadistic streak, Even in elementary school. Whenever he caused trouble, someone usually was left bleeding or bruised. I'm pretty sure Wannabe's nickname was only assigned due to its similarity to Watanabe, but it ended up being just as ironic as Littles. Wannabe didn't want to be anything. He was bright, certainly brighter than Orin or Little, but he lacked ambition of any sort. His brilliant mind was as malleable as clay, and Orin took it upon himself to sculpt it. So, now that you've met my tormentors, let me explain how I momentarily became their unwilling fourth member. As I mentioned, I had just turned 16 and gotten my driver's license. I had a car to drive, but it didn't belong to me. I was basically allowed to take it to school and school-related activities, but nothing more than that. By this time, Oren and his crew were all closer to 17 years old. Wannabe had never bothered to get his license, Little's car broke down and he couldn't fix it, and Oren had gotten his first DUI. As a minor, he immediately lost his license until he turned 18. One afternoon, in the spring, I think it was, I walked out to my car after school to find Oren, Little, and Wannabe standing by it, blocking all the doors. Little's girth could block two doors at once. I asked them what they wanted, honestly terrified of the answer. Just a ride... Oren said as if it was the simplest, easiest request in the world. "'I can't. This isn't my car. I'm not allowed to have passengers, and I have to go straight home,' I said. "'What do you mean it's not your car?' Little asked. He slapped his moist hands down on top of the car and started rocking it back and forth so hard I could hear the shocks squealing in protest. "'You drive it, don't ya?' "'Yeah, but it belongs to my dad. He just lets me—' "'Listen. It's Ben, right?' Oren asked. I nodded while wishing Little would have his inevitable heart attack right then. Okay, Ben. We need a ride downtown. You have a car. It's simple math, really. Is any math simple to you? I retorted. Bad move. Orin stepped forward. I tried to duck away, but Wannabe slipped to my side and blocked me. Orin gripped my collar with one hand while spinning me around so my back was against the car. He raised his other hand in a tight fist and held it above his head. How about this equation, he asked. If you don't drive us, you don't drive anywhere, ever again. Fine, fine, just get in the car. Little has to sit in the back, I said. Why, Little asked, sounding comically sincere. Because I don't want my front bumper scraping the pavement. It took him an extra second to process what I meant, but when he did, his face turned red. If you can't tell, I wasn't as afraid of these guys as most of the school was. I guess I was one of the lucky kids who didn't really have any major deficiencies for them to pick on, but also didn't stand out enough for them to notice. I also got the feeling Orrin sort of liked having somebody push back a bit. He looked like a cat toying with a mouse, knowing it could kill it in an instant, but drawing out the chase for fun. After years of bullying, it must have become boring to have total compliance from his victims. He opened the driver's door and shoved me into the seat. Then they all got in. Little did squeeze into the back next to Wannabe, but the car still leaned noticeably to the right where he sat. Downtown, Oren ordered. Anywhere more specific? I asked. Not until we're downtown. We drove in silence. At one point, Oren tried to turn on the radio but couldn't figure out how to work it. I gleefully withheld my knowledge that the radio had been stuck on 96.3 Big Country for over two years. Dad kept saying he would get it fixed, but never did. As we approached Main Street, I asked again for a more specific destination. Oren squinted his eyes and looked up the road. "'Pull in here,' he said, pointing to a parking stall a couple yards ahead. I obeyed. "'Please be quick,' I said." My mom's going to wonder why I didn't come home after school and I'll get in trouble for using the car. In truth, I actually think my parents are reasonable enough to have understood my predicament, but I liked having the excuse to hurry things up. Oh, we're not going anywhere, Bill. I just told you my name is Ben like five minutes ago, I said. Whatever. You're going to do us another quick favor. Then you can drop us back at the school and go home to mommy. I rolled my eyes. All right, what's the favor? See the liquor store a few shops down, Orrin asked, pointing up the road and across the street from where we were parked. I saw the dirt smudged sign for Harry's liquor sticking out from the brick facade. I see it, I said. My stomach sank a little. I had a pretty good idea what they were about to make me do. Good. Your job is to get us a bottle. Don't try fooling the lady who works there. She'll ask for your ID and you won't get away with it. You've just got to take it. Her loss. Fireball fits in your pockets easiest, Little said from the back. His mouth drooped in a thoughtful shape as if he had just said something profound. Yeah, if you get the small ones, you might be able to grab a couple, Wannabe suggested. No, I said bluntly. I am not going to rob a liquor store for you. Forget it. It's not robbery, Wannabe said as Oren's lips tightened. "'Robbery requires a weapon. "'It's just burglary as long as no one gets hurt. "'It's a misdemeanor here, and you're a minor.' "'I didn't know you were a lawyer,' I said. "'I'm still not doing it.' Orrin leaned sideways toward me "'as he fished something out of his jean pocket. "'A moment later, he presented a folded knife. "'He shook it at me. "'You will do it,' he threatened. "'Or what, you're gonna stab me? "'You'll go to prison if I don't get you "'a cheap bottle of whiskey?' Orin laughed. I'm not going to use this on you, stupid, but you might find yourself stranded downtown in daddy's car with four flat tires if you don't get moving. I looked into his eyes. He meant it. I still could have done the right thing, but in the moment it felt like I didn't have a choice. I got out of the car, nervous to leave those three idiots behind, but not knowing what else to do. A bell dinged when I entered Harry's liquor two minutes later. An old woman behind the counter greeted me without a smile. She asked, Can I help you find anything, young man? She emphasized young suspiciously. Um, no, that's okay, I replied, trying to sound cool. I'm just going to look around. She gave me a slight nod but didn't take her eyes off me. An idea crossed my mind as I searched for the fireball. The bullies had sent me in alone, unmonitored. I wondered what would happen if I just told the old woman what was happening. Maybe she could help me out. Maybe she could call the. No, not the police, I thought. I didn't want to get the guys in that much trouble, did I? I had to stop to consider why I cared what happened to them. They'd forced me into this predicament. Shouldn't they get some justice? I found the fireball at the end of the whiskey aisle and brought a bottle to the counter. I'm going to need to see some ID, young man. The old woman said. Her lips were cracked and bleeding in the corners. Her eyes had maybe once been blue, but now had a dull gray hue that matched her wavy hair. Thin blue veins crept out from her temples under her papery skin. I looked at the frail woman, second guessing myself. Did I really want to rely on this poor old thing to rescue me? Yes. I pushed the bottle across the counter. Ma'am, I'm sorry. I'm not 21, but I need to buy this. These guys wanted me to steal- The bell rang behind me. Apparently, I had taken too long. I spun around and saw Oren standing in the door, holding his knife open. Snitch, he shouted. He took a few big steps toward me and I panicked. I grabbed the fireball off the counter and ran toward Oren, holding the bottle up for him to see. Run, I shouted. He spun on his heels, visibly confused. I was only a few feet away when I heard the woman screech something in a language I didn't know. Something heavy hit my back so hard I fell face down on the wooden floor. The bottle of fireball fell out of my hand. I scurried to my feet, leaving the bottle behind. Get out, the old woman screamed. She followed it up with another foreign outburst. My back resonated with pain. I looked for what she threw at me but didn't see anything besides my discarded bottle on the floor. As I went out the door, I turned and shouted, I'm so sorry. From that distance, the woman's eyes looked black. Oren was also recovering. In a daze, he ran to my dad's car. I followed close behind. Did you get it? Little asked as I opened the driver's door. No, I answered flatly. He tried to rat us out, Oren reported as he got in. Wannabe's hands reached around my seat and grabbed my shirt. He yanked back, choking me with my own collar. Leave him alone, Oren ordered to my surprise. Wannabe's grip relaxed, and I was allowed to breathe again. I drove them back to the high school parking lot. I stayed in the car while those three got out. The car must have risen five inches after Little finally relieved it of his burdensome weight. He and Wannabe walked away, but Oren turned and glared at me through the windshield. He pulled out his knife, unfolded it, and went around to all four tires, stabbing each one hard. By the time he finally walked away, my dad's car was sitting flat on the ground. I had to walk home. I told my mom I was late because my tires were slashed in the parking lot. I told her I didn't know who did it. I was in enough trouble with Oren and his boys already. I didn't need to put a bigger target on my back than I already had. Speaking of my back, it continued to hurt throughout the rest of the day. The pain leaked across my skin like ice melting and dripping streaks of frigid water in all directions. By nighttime, the pain had begun to wrap around me. Creeping under my arms and all over my shoulders. I considered saying something about it to my parents, but then I would have had to tell them about the rest of what happened after school. I decided the pain would likely fade away on its own. The next morning gave me false hope. I no longer felt pain, but a dull sensation of pressure. I still didn't understand what the old woman at Harry's Liquor had done to me, but the change in sensation gave me the confidence to keep it a secret for a little longer. It only remained a secret until after track practice, though. I came off the track field and hit the showers with the rest of the team. I was the last one in the showers that day, having needed some extra time to get my shirt off. The pain hadn't returned to what it was the day before, but exerting myself on the field had made the area peculiarly sore. I walked into the herd of nude boys and found a place to wash up. Washing my hair and face went without incident, but when I turned to wash my back, I heard a collection of gasps someone even retched. I paused and looked around, at first not realizing the group reaction had been caused by me. Then I noticed the eyes and fingers trained in my direction. What is it? I asked, calm at first. Then I saw how scared my teammates looked. More frantically, I once more asked, what is it? You're back, dude, one of the guys closest to me said. It's all... all... Is that an infection? Another kid asked. I backed out of the shower and reached a hand around to one of the spots that felt most sore. It was just below my neck. My damp fingers brushed along a raised, crusty ridge back there. In a near panic, I reached my other arm behind my lower back and felt there. The skin on my back felt like lava rock. Taking deep breaths, I left my gaping team in the showers and quickly put my clothes back on. I talked myself through every step to hold back my panic. Underwear. Shorts. Shirt. Careful now. Socks. Shoes. Get your bag out of the locker. Good practice, Ben. We'll see you tomorrow, the coach said, catching me totally off guard. I spun around and gasped. He took a step back and raised his hands. Sorry, didn't mean to scare you. No, I'm sorry, coach, I said, the words sort of spilling out of my mouth. See you tomorrow. I ran through the parking lot, past my car, which was sitting flat on four slashed tires, and all the way home. When I got to my house, I flew through the door, kicked off my shoes, and yelled, Mom! I was prepared to tell her everything that had happened yesterday. Whatever was on my back was too serious to deal with on my own. I had no idea what that old lady could have thrown at me to cause the reaction on my skin. I planned on taking my mom there and forcing that creepy woman to explain. Mom called to me from a room in the back of the house. I started walking that way when a voice, my own voice, said, "'Don't show her.'" I stopped. The words had come from my mind, but it hadn't been me who thought them. I fought back with my own thoughts. I have to tell her. This could be something really serious. Besides, what happened yesterday wasn't my fault. "'It's fine,' the voice that was and wasn't mine forced through. "'It will stay its course and fulfill its purpose.'" Fulfill its purpose, I thought. That sounded terrifying. I started walking towards my mom again. Suddenly, my back flared with pain. This time, it didn't feel icy. It felt like oozing magma spreading from a volcano in the middle of my spine. I clenched my teeth to keep from screaming out as I doubled over in agony. Ben, did you need something? I heard mom call from the back room. I mustered enough strength to yell back, No, I'm fine. This was the biggest lie I had told her over the last 24 hours, and that was saying something. You will be fine, the rogue voice in my head whispered, but you cannot fight it. If you try, you die. I accepted the pain, and the acceptance seemed to make it fade. I went to my room where I lay face down on my bed with my head turned sideways so I could watch TV. A few minutes into the show, the pain receded until I forgot about it completely. During first period the next morning, the PA system dinged and the administrative assistant's nasally voice crackled through the speakers. Benjamin Holmes, please report to the nurse's station. Benjamin Holmes to the nurse's station. Thank you. Every pair of sleepy eyes in the classroom turned to me, including the teachers. Better get down there, the teacher said. I nodded, accepting my fate and ignoring the curious gazes around me. My back started to flare up before I even left the room. "'Don't go,' the clone voice said to me. "'I have to,' I thought back. "'I'll get in trouble if I don't do what they say.' "'You'll be in worse trouble if you do,' the voice informed me. As if to accentuate this point, a ripple of heat on my back made me stumble. I clenched my eyes and fists and resigned myself to whatever was to come when I got to the nurse's station. I had to walk past the front desk to get to the nurse.' Looks of concern from the women there followed me all the way to the little windowless room where Nurse Julie saw students. I knocked twice on her open door, and Nurse Julie looked up. She smiled at me and said, Hi Ben, thanks for coming so quickly. Sorry to pull you out of class. That's all right," I said. What's up? The pain on my back slithered and writhed like a snake wrapping around my spine, preparing to squeeze. Well... This is probably nothing, but we got an anonymous report from one of your teammates that you might have an injury that got infected. Have you had that checked out by a doctor? I lied for the too manyth time that week and said, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Nurse Julie looked uncomfortable. She squirmed in her chair. Listen, Ben, I'm sure your teammate is exaggerating some, but what he described sounds... Well, it sounds pretty serious, if I'm being honest. I'm worried what's on your back might be a fungal infection or a topical virus that could spread to other kids. You wouldn't want that, would you? I shook my head. I didn't think what I had under my shirt could or would spread, but I didn't know how to convince her of that. Could I see it? Julie asked. No, the rogue voice said. I was horrified to hear it actually come out of my mouth this time too, sounding exactly like me. Nurse Julie sat up straight, surprised to hear such blatant defiance. I put my hands over my ears for some reason and squeezed my own head as I turned around and backed up towards Julie. I clenched my eyes shut and held my breath. My head filled with ambient ringing, which I hoped would drown out the other voice. Julie, although I'm sure she was entirely confused, took the cue and lifted my shirt. Oh, I heard her mutter faintly over the ringing. I felt my shirt raise a little higher. Oh my god. Nurse Julie, a professional who had seen it all, couldn't even contain her shock. Ben, she said. When I didn't open my eyes or remove my hands, she gently grabbed one of my arms and pulled it away from my ear. She said my name again, firmer this time. I turned to face her. I'm not trying to scare you, but you have to get this checked out. I'll call your mom to take you to the emergency room, Nurse Julie said. Before the other voice could even say it, I said, No. No. I really don't think it's that big a deal. Nurse Julie's already serious face grew cold. She said, Ben, I'm sorry, but it's not really up to you at this point. You can either go home or wait for your mom here. I'm going to call her either way. The pain snake began to constrict my spine. I don't know how to get out of this, I thought to try to keep the other voice at bay. Run, it ordered. No, I thought back. My entire spine seized with pain. The snake squeezed a bit, making me want to flee but paralyzing me at the same time. I could hear the nurse frantically saying my name over and over, the sound of her chair rolling back suddenly and colliding with the counter. But the tangible world was no longer my primary reality. Now I existed in the world of pain. Everything else faded to black. Senseless silence. I woke up in the back of a rolling ambulance. It took a few seconds for me to figure that out. I had never seen the inside of an ambulance, nor had I ever blacked out before. The two novel experiences together set my mind completely off track. I couldn't feel any pain or soreness coming from my back. I couldn't feel anything there, actually. My hand flew up to my shoulder, excitedly hoping to feel nothing but my own smooth skin at the base of my neck. My heart sank when my fingers met one of the crusty roots that had taken hold there. Oh, hey, you're awake. An EMT near my head said. He stepped into my view. If you feel a little disoriented, don't worry. We had to give you a low dose of ketamine to help with the pain. You were having spasms while you were unconscious. All I could say was, oh, okay. So, can you tell me anything about that infection on your back? How long have you had it? Two days, I replied. I could tell this was not the answer he had expected. His eyes widened before he regained his professional coolness. He echoed my answer quietly while typing a note on his computer. And how's the pain normally, he asked. We went through a whole gamut of questions like this, and I answered most of them truthfully. When he asked if I was experiencing any psychological effects like hallucinations or irrational thoughts, I had to stop. I realized I hadn't heard the other voice in my head since blacking out. Hesitantly, I searched my mind for its presence, calling out for it. No reply. Uh, no, nothing like that. I answered. We reached the hospital a short time later. The EMTs wheeled me into a sterile white room where I waited alone until a doctor could come see me. My mom got there first. Showing her my back may have been the worst part of the ordeal. Her eyes welled with tears the moment she got a glimpse of my hideous growth. The doctor walked into the room with a smile, but she grew serious the moment she saw mom's tear-streaked face. While the doctor examined my back, Something began to whisper inside my head. Within seconds, the whispers had amplified into screams. How dare you push me down? How dare you try to suppress me? It's not my fault. I was unconscious when they drugged me, I thought back. Scalding pain suddenly flared up again. I fought my body, suppressing any reaction that would be visible to the doctor or my mom. The voice's visceral response to being silenced gave me an idea. If you make it hurt, they'll drug me again. I won't be able to hear you, I thought. The voice didn't answer, but the pain slowly faded away. The doctor asked me all the same questions the EMT had and seemed just as perplexed about how quickly the quote-unquote infection had spread. She told me she would need to take a sample for the lab to determine what exactly the growth was. I willingly surrendered my back for her to scrape some of the stuff off. She produced a scalpel and scraped upward. My skull threatened to shatter as my brain exploded with instant pain beyond the threshold of anything I had felt before. The doctor may as well have taken that scalpel to my own skin. I unleashed a primal scream and the doctor stepped back. You can feel that? She asked, surprised. I clenched my eyes shut as I waited for the shooting stings to subside. I felt my mom's hands on my cheeks. When I finally opened my eyes, I didn't like the look on the doctor's face. She said, You know what? Before I do anything else, I'm going to consult with a colleague of mine who has some expertise in skin infections. He might have some ideas. The doc left the room, and mom sat on the edge of the hospital bed facing me. Ben, she said, what happened to you? I decided that was as good a time as any to come clean. I described the parking lot confrontation with Oren and his friends, and what had happened in the liquor store, and the truth about my tires getting slashed. She nodded along, not appearing upset even though I knew she was. She wasn't upset at me, but rather the whole situation. "'I wish you would have told me sooner, but I can understand why you didn't,' she said. Then she asked, "'Are you thirsty? Hungry?' I realized I was. Mom said she would go find someone and ask if I was allowed to eat or drink. As she closed the door, I wished I had told her one more lie and said I was fine. I didn't want to be left alone with the voice.' and for good reason. The moment the door closed, pain shot through every inch of my skin. The thing on my back grew so hot I could feel my lungs burning inside me. I wanted to scream, but started coughing instead. Leave this place, the other voice hissed. I didn't react or answer. I just gritted my teeth and hoped the doctor or mom would return soon. The voice repeated, leave this place now. Against my will, I sat up. It felt like I had hooks under my armpits lifting me. It was controlling me. I was forced to lean forward until I nearly somersaulted off the bed. I had to plant my feet on the ground to keep from falling. Go, now, the voice screamed within. No, I forced back. Again, my torso moved without my control. This time it twisted me around to face the wall. There was a narrow, vertical mirror hanging there. I looked at myself, naked from the waist up and glistening with sweat. My face was so pale I almost didn't recognize it. I made to step back toward the bed and stopped. In the mirror, I could see something moving behind me. I felt the pressure on my back increase. Now it had real weight, like a toddler riding piggyback. The thing behind my shoulder rose up. It looked like a jagged black stone at first. It was generally round but lumpy. I felt something slide up behind my shoulder and watched craggly black fingers appear in the mirror. The fingers pressed into my skin as the monster pushed itself up. Its eyes appeared next, hollow and empty. I wanted to run, but what good would it do? The thing had attached itself to me, or rather, that old woman had attached it to me. Before the rest of its horrible face appeared, I grabbed the scalpel the doctor had set aside and stabbed backwards over my shoulder. Where the thing existed in the mirror, my hand found nothing but air. I stabbed worthlessly back again and again, never connecting with anything. Yet I could feel its weight and movements. I could still see it in the mirror, with most of its face still hidden behind my shoulder. It walked two fingers across my skin towards my neck. I felt something on my other shoulder. I moved slightly to the sides to see the rest of my reflection, and watched as the monster's other hand slid towards my neck as well. I can't say whether my next move was the result of panic or sudden clarity, but I busted out of that hospital room and ran towards the first red exit sign I saw. On the way, I saw a rack full of folded surgical gowns and grabbed one. I slipped it over my back to hide the ugly thing there. It slid down. There was no monster protruding from me. I knew that already, at least cerebrally, but it felt good to have physical confirmation. Two nurses looked shocked to see me sprinting down the hall. A third made a weak attempt to stop me but I made it out into the lobby and didn't stop running until I was through the front doors. There, I had to get my bearings. I knew the hospital was close to downtown, but I had to figure out which direction to run. I heard elevated voices behind the sliding doors I had just exited, made a quick decision, and started to run again. My track coach would have been proud of the time I made getting to Main Street. I didn't stop until I was under the sign for Harry's Liquor. I burst through the shop door, causing the bell to ring crazily. The old woman behind the counter's head snapped in my direction. She recognized me right away and stood, pointing with an expression of hateful wrath deepening her wrinkles. I dropped to my knees and raised my hands as if her pointed finger was a gun aimed at my head. Please, I yelled. No, the thing inside me screamed. I ignored it. I ignored the excruciating pain it punished me with. The old woman reached under the counter for something before stepping around it. She came toward me slowly twisting the lid off a jar. "'Now you know,' she said, pausing dramatically. "'You know what happens when you let your inner demons take over.' "'My what?' I asked, sweating profusely in agony. "'The desires to steal, to cheat, to lie. Those things will take control of you. They will ruin your life if you cannot resist them as you are resisting this one now.' She was now standing over me, dipping her fingers into the jar. "'What did you do to me?' I asked. "'I saved you from your demons,' she said, and now I will rescue you from mine." She removed her fingers from the jar. They were covered in a thick, yellow salve. She stepped behind me and lifted the hospital gown off my back. "'Kill this old hag,' the inner voice said. Smash one of those bottles and put it through her eyeball. Cut out her heart and stomp on it. Again, I ignored the voice. The old woman applied the salve to every inch of the infection. I could feel it retracting its tiny roots like needles in my skin. Little chunks of it landed on the floor behind me. A few hit my feet and legs on the way down. In the distance, I could hear sirens winding up. They were coming to find me. I didn't care. As the last bits of crusty parasite fell away, I didn't care about anything else at all. I'm so sorry, I said to the woman. I know, she said, but not as sorry as your friend will be. My friend? I asked. The other boy, she replied. He's not my friend, I said, but what did you do to him? The woman dropped my gown and stepped around to face me. I stood, my legs shaking a little as my adrenaline dumped. I was scared of her answer. What had she done to Oren? Your inner demons were weak, she said. She answered my question by implication. Oren's inner demons, I imagined, were quite strong. Powerful, evil things. Just about then, I noticed the sirens I had heard were not getting closer. They were all reaching some location in the distance before going silent. I counted seven emergency vehicles. Later, after calling my mom to pick me up, I learned all of those emergency vehicles had been going to Oren Green's house, or what was left of it. He had stayed home from school that day, and while he had the house to himself, he burned it down. Investigators found his charred remains face down by the front door. He had tied a 50-pound kettlebell to each of his ankles before setting the fire. To this day, I wonder if Oren had set the fire to rid himself of his tormentor, or if the demon had set the fire to rid itself of him. Maybe Orin's inner demons were too tough for whatever monster the old woman had cursed him with. Maybe, rather than subduing the competition as mine had, his monster had to eliminate it. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening.